The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Last weekend we began the reflections on the Holy Mass about what it is that we do here week after week. And so we discussed how when we enter into the church, we come and we have this movement towards our Lord, that we come and we ask for mercy, and we seek repentance in our hearts. And then receiving that mercy, hearing about the love of God for us, we cry out and sing that great hymn of joy in the Gloria. And so today we continue with the next piece of the Mass, which we have just heard and concluded, namely the readings. The place in which we hear the voice of the Lord come to speak to us. At this point of the Mass, we're seated. And so we listen to the Word of God. Now the seating is not just a posture of just kind of sitting down to take a break. Rather, it's a posture where we're supposed to have a disposition of our heart of receptivity. To be able to receive the words that God desires to speak to us. To come to us with His grace. And so, we're seated. And we allow the Lord to speak. As we go through the readings, we have four readings at each Sunday Mass, typically three at each weekday Mass, and they flow in a particular order. The first reading is always from the Old Testament, except during the Easter season, whenever the Acts of the Apostles is read in addition to. The train was quiet this week. That's nice. So we have that, the Acts of the Apostles will be read during the Easter season. And so we have that first reading, which kind of gives us a, an initial movement of the first time the Word of God was heard in the world, in the Old Testament times. It moves into now the psalm. The psalm is the only place where we read from the same book every single week. It's an important thing for us, the psalms. I'll talk about more of that in a minute. So we move from the psalms then into transitioning to the New Testament. The majority of what we hear in the second reading, uh, what I guess technically would be the third reading at Mass, is we have mostly the letters of St. Paul. We also have sometimes the letters of St. Peter or St. John or Jude, sometimes Revelation or Acts of the Apostles, but because St. Paul's letters, the majority of the New Testament uh, outside of the Gospels, we often hear him more than not. And it's an important thing for us to be able to listen to the words of St. Paul. 
Because the writings of St. Paul are writing to particular communities at that time. Whenever he was writing, he wasn't just writing general letters like the Gospels are a general you know, pronunciation, proclamation of the good news. Rather, Paul was writing to people going, hey, I've noticed such and such in your community. Here's how to respond to that. He's writing in very concrete terms. Oftentimes, he's very encouraging in his words to the communities. Sometimes he's, he's challenging. Sometimes enlightening. Sometimes they needed to be brought down a step or two to be able to get off their high horse, and he did it. But he gives very, very concrete and practical ways for us to live the Christian life. So our second reading each week is a great place for us to be able to pause and to reflect, how am I living the faith? Am I doing well? Am I following Christ? And to let St. Paul speak to us as he spoke to communities, generations in the past. After we read the letters of St. Paul and the other whatever epistles are other there, we continue with the gospel. And the gospel is the, is the main focus. It's the biggest piece of the scriptures for us, um, weight-wise, not, not necessarily content or size-wise. But the gospels are the most important piece for us, and so we build up to them. And the gospels are the proclamation of Jesus, the proclamation of the good news. And so we start at the beginning, and we move forward, culminating in the life of Jesus Christ. A wonderful progression for us. And it's supposed to you know, symbolize the fact of moving from the old to the new to Jesus. It's supposed to symbolize exactly what we just did in the procession. To start from the back and to come forward, always closer to Christ. Week after week, every single Mass, to go and to come. Sometimes by our feet, but in the readings... For the openness of our hearts. And so we allow the Lord to come and to draw us to himself. An important thing to remember whenever we look at the scriptures, specifically in the weekends, is that it was intentionally done whenever they, whenever they created the lectionary, the, the set of readings that we currently have. They intentionally built it such that the first reading and the gospel would almost always correspond to one another. In a sense, whenever we read the scriptures, the church encourages us to get some bifocals, to be able to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament simultaneously, to be able to see them side by side, because we have to look at the old through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of the new, and it helps us to look and to make sense of the new by way of connecting back to the old. Because when Jesus says things, usually he's not making up original analogies. More often than not, when Jesus does or says things, He's going back to something that already has happened in the life of Israel. We see that today. We see Isaiah talking about the keeper of the keys. This was a specific person who had the office of basically being the second in charge to the king. And they had the literal keys to the gates. The gates to the city and the gates to the temple. And this leader was Shebna at this point that we hear. And Shebna, the, the keys were being passed along. The authority was then being given to his successor, Eliakim. And they say, and they assure us by Elijah, Elijah's words, remind us that whoever locks the gates with the keys, no one can open it. And if they open, open it, no one can lock them. And so it's this sign that the king of Israel has entrusted that person with power. With some authority to be able to bind and to loose, to be able to lock and to open. And Jesus uses that analogy to draw forth into the New Testament. 
So when he says to Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom, Peter understands what he means. He doesn't think he's getting a nice set of physical keys, although we put the, the emblem of the two keys on the Pope's crest. It's not a set of physical keys. Rather, it's a recognition that Jesus, being the king, gives Simon Peter the keys. He gives him the authority, the power, the position, the rank, to be able to bind and to loose, to be able to open the gates of heaven or to close them. And so it's a wonderful reminder to us that we need both Testaments together to often to make sense of exactly what's taking place. Because you look at the Old Testament, you see, if you wanted to get into the city, you asked the man with the keys. You followed him, and he would get you in. In much the same way, using that same analogy, following the same line of reason, if we want to get into the new kingdom, if we want to get into the new temple of heaven, we follow the man with the keys. We follow the Pope, and he draws us home. And he has the authority. Not in himself. Not because Pope Francis is all that. Because he's the, you know, the, the greatest thing since sliced bread, as they say. But rather because he holds the office. And because the one who holds the office is entrusted with the authority. And so we follow our Holy Father. And we know that he will not lead us astray. He will lead us to heaven. And so we trust. So it's always helpful for us to put the, the first reading and the gospel side by side. It helps us to make sense of exactly what it is that is trying to be spoken to us by our mother, the church. Now, it's easy for us sometimes whenever we come into Mass, you know, we, we've, got, we've got all these sets of readings and we can have them side by side. and We can have all the, the various things that we just kind of mentioned. But oftentimes it's easy for us to come in and to be so consumed with things that are not happening currently that we don't exactly even hear the readings. Sometimes we come in and we're thinking about what just happened down the road or we're thinking about what's happening elsewhere, or what we've got to do later today or later this afternoon. Or we're thinking about something that happened yesterday or maybe the song on the radio was really catchy and we're just still kind of nodding our head along to it. And, you know, it's still, it's still repeating uh, in our mind. And so all of these things can happen such that the readers can come up and beautifully proclaim the reading. And it does nothing to us. At the seminary, they used to test us sometimes. After, after Mass, we would, have, we would go from Mass to lunch. And, of course, the, the professors were oftentimes the priests. Uh, and we had other professors along with us. And sometimes we'd sit down at the table and they would say, uh, So-and-so, do you remember uh, what book the first reading was from today? Like, it's lunch, man. You don't have to quiz me. <laughs> I don't know, because I wasn't paying attention, but... Just let me eat in peace, you know? But it was a recognition that how easy it was, even for us at the seminary, who our job was to listen, how easy it is for us to simply come and to be mindful about other things and not allow the Word to come and to speak to our hearts. And this is the important piece, to let God's Word actually speak to our hearts. Because every single one of us wants to hear God. Every one of us expects to hear God. And when we don't hear God, we get upset with Him. This is the source of, of the frustration. This is the reason I know many people do not believe in God any longer. Many people who do not practice the faith is because they offered some prayer in a time of need and they didn't feel like God responded. They didn't feel like He answered anything. And so rather than to, to persist and persevere and to come to seek and ask and to knock, they simply left. I was among their number. 
one who it didn't seem like the Lord was listening. So, why should I? And to just turn away. But the thing is, sometimes the Lord may seem not to respond. And sometimes it's the fact that we're simply not listening. So many things come and make the noise in our minds, in our ears, and in our hearts, that we don't let the Lord speak. And when he does speak, we can't hear him. So it's important for us when we come to Mass, really to quiet our hearts and to recognize that when we hear the Word of God, it is the voice of Christ speaking to us. Sure, it comes to the mouthpiece of, of parishioners or the priest as they proclaim the Word, but it's the voice of God who really speaks. The voice of God has power. The Scriptures, if we listen to them, if we read them, they have the power to change us on the spot. There's no other book like that. Other books can inspire us. They can encourage us and give us a good word to, to kind of lift our hearts a bit through the day. But only the word of God in the scriptures has the power to change us. There are numerous accounts of the saints who have experienced the word of God and changed their lives immediately. There's accounts, I forget, I forget which saint it was, but she was trying to discern what God's will for her was. And she went into Mass And she sat down and the readings were proclaimed. And the reading was, as she was listening, the story of the rich man who comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And she knew with absolute clarity in her heart, that was the voice of God speaking to her. Every one of us can hear that. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's the Lord speaking to us in a, in a kind of concrete, particular way. Otherwise, everybody would sell everything and you'd all be coming to knock on the church door going, Father, I need some help. I don't have any, I don't have any money. <laughs> Sold it all, you know. Right? But she, she recognized it was the voice of God. It touched her heart. She sold everything she had. She became a religious sister and gave her life to Christ and became a saint. St. Augustine himself, a great teacher of the, of the scriptures, one day in his own struggle with the faith, his own struggle of seeking to find peace in his heart, he was sitting and he heard a voice say, Tole lege, pick up and read. And he looked next to him, it was, a, it was a book of the scriptures. And he picked it up and read, and he converted on the spot. He knew that Christ was calling to him. And Christ calls to us too. Because the scriptures are not just a dead word. They're not just a word printed in a book. They are the living word of God. Because a hundred times we can read the same passage and a hundred times the Lord will speak to us differently. And a hundred people can be in the same room. We can proclaim one reading and a hundred people will hear something different. Because it's the living word of God. Because it's not just a static text. But it's the voice of our beloved. And so he comes to speak to us. I would encourage you to be able to do at least one of, if not all three, of the following things. To be able to nourish this life of ours in relationship to the scriptures. One thing I would encourage you all to do if you're not already doing so, is to pick up the scriptures every single day and to read them and to pray with them. It doesn't have to be a substantial chunk of time. You don't have to dedicate half an hour or an hour or anything of the sort. Most of our scriptures uh, that we read at daily masses are, are broken up into just small paragraphs so we can literally read through it in a couple of minutes. 
sit with it, let it nourish you, and then go through the course of the day, and maybe go back to it from time to time. Allow it to come and to roll around in our heads a little bit. To converse with the Lord each day in the scriptures, because every day he has something to say to us. Every single day. Pick up the Gospels. Pick up the letters of the New Testament, or maybe the Acts of the Apostles. They're the ones we're most familiar with, the ones where we kind of understand it a little bit more easily, but also the ones that we kind of reflect upon a little bit more. To be able to go and to hear the voice of the Lord speak to us each day is a wonderful gift. To know that He speaks, but also for Him to know that we listen. And the more we listen, the better we listen. And the more we become attuned to being able to hear his voice when he does speak. A second thing I would encourage you to do is to make use of a mass journal. Now this can be a specific book or you know, kind of something that uh, oftentimes is brought with you to mass. Whether daily mass or Sunday mass. And to be able to sit there with a pen and a paper and to write down something that strikes you. It could be anything under the sun. Oftentimes it's the scriptures, occasionally the homily, likely one of the prayers of the Mass that was prayed that just kind of made you think about something a little bit differently this time. But to be able to take it and to write it down on the spot so that we can go back through the course of the week and go back to that well where Jesus gave us a little nourishment and pray with it for a bit. Because although we can say, oh, I'm definitely going to remember that. Man, that was such a powerful thing that the way that was phrased or the way that it was said or the thing that I, the thing that I experienced, I'm definitely going to cling to that. And we walk out the front doors of the church and you're like, well, what was that thing that was really, really powerful to me today? I just, uh, oh well, you know, and then off you go. You missed it. You lost it. So it can fade for after even just a brief moment. So I encourage especially to be able to do that, to be able to bring a journal and I promise you all won't be upset if I see you writing on something. I mean, something, it means God spoke and you listened. Thanks be to God. So maybe to consider that as well. The third thing I would encourage you to do is to be able to speak to God using the Psalms. Again, the Psalms are the book that we sing, that we sing from or we read from every single Mass. There's not another book that we read from every single Mass. They'll, all the rest change. But the Psalms are always there. Because the Psalms are incredibly important to us. The Jewish people sang the Psalms all through the course of the day. The Christian people, especially in the early church, did exactly the same. And we do it even now. Part of my obligation of prayer each day that I promise for fidelity to God and to offer for you, the church, is to pray the Psalms. Multiple times a day to stop and to pray. To allow the Lord to speak and for me to speak to him. And the Psalms are important because they encompass every human emotion. Anything that you can possibly feel in your heart, there are Psalms for it. If you're feeling incredibly joyful and just want to praise the Lord, there's a whole number of Psalms for that. Especially just to sing and to praise nature psalms. If we're out in, if we're out in the fields or out in the woods and just want to praise the Lord for the gift of the, of the beauty around us, there are Psalms for that. If we're really frustrated and kind of down, if we're feeling sick, or if we are sick physically, there are psalms for that. Psalms of, of times of difficulty in our sickness. If we're angry with someone and we really just want to punch them in the mouth, there's a psalm for that. 
Did you know there is a psalm in the divinely inspired scriptures that prays, Lord, I want you to crush the teeth of my enemies. Let that soak in. It doesn't mean we should go fulfill it, obviously. But it does recognize the fact that sometimes in our hearts we have very strong emotions. And we need to do something with them. Not just to kind of push them down or repress them because that never turns out well. But rather to acknowledge the things in our heart and to allow the Lord to transform them. Even if we're angry with God. If we think that God has completely rejected us or abandoned us. If it's a time of trial and difficulty and God's just not answering or in one of those places. We have another psalm for that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those weren't just the words of Jesus. He was quoting the psalm. He was quoting the scriptures. It's a recognition that in the psalms, everything we can experience is there. And they're a wonderful gift to us because they give voice to the things we experience in our hearts that sometimes we can't find the words for, but God already has them for us. To teach us, to shape us, and indeed to change us. Some of my most, exper- most profound experiences with the scriptures have been with the Psalms. In fact, the Psalms are the reason that I'm standing here today in large part. After a couple of years in seminary, I graduated and I was, I'd left the seminary and I was kind of wandering, trying to figure out where I was going. And this time I began to question my call to the priesthood. And I was kind of leaning further and further away from it. But I was still trying to give the Lord a little bit of, a little bit of leeway to, to call me back. And so I was just about to kind of push off and, and just call it a day. And you know, say, Lord, I, I gave two years. I gave my best. You know, I think I'm done. But so, a, a couple of things happened where the Lord spoke to me by, by various prayers and various individuals. And encouraged me to keep going. That he wasn't done with the priesthood idea yet. And so I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to be a priest, you've got to show me. Again, this is the second time I've made him the ultimatum that if he wanted it, he had to do something. And I said, you need, to, you need to confirm this to show me that it's actually real. And so that evening, I picked up the prayer of the church, the liturgy of the hours, and I went to pray evening prayer. And I guess that I didn't think about it at that time, but it must have been an octave, one of the eight-day celebrations, where in the prayers of the church, you pray the same thing eight days in a row because it's such a grand celebration. You kind of stretch it out to emphasize it, to drive the point home. And the first psalm of evening prayer for eight straight days was Psalm 110. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Touche, Lord. <laughs> and it was a recognition that the Psalms have power, but they also are a living word. And it, the, the first time I read it, I was like, I just closed the book. I, I got to that, I, I opened it up, because I knew exactly what, what Psalm, Psalm 110 was. And I, got to, I, I looked and I opened it, got to that page, and I just, all right, Lord, it's time to talk again. <laughs> I know, I got you, you know. The Psalms have power. The scriptures have power. Every one of you, and myself included, we want to hear God speak. And there's one place he speaks 100% of the time for willing to listen. And it's the written word of God. So we ask the Lord to be with us as we come to this holy mass. To continue to increase in our hearts a love for the scriptures. 
to help us to listen to his voice even better each time we come to encounter him in his written word. And we ask that we'll be able especially to draw close to him, that we might be able to hear his voice as he comes to speak to us.